Hey everyone, it's Grant Schwalbe. Welcome to episode two of Grabs. This is a podcast where we want to share people's stories, making grabs on the fire ground so that we can try to bridge the gap between the training ground and fire grounds. Try to keep these short so that you can listen on a commute. We try to keep it short enough so that you can share with your crew, even if they have a short attention span, but we, we can get a lot out of learning from other people. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce you to Captain DJ Stone. He's a captain on Engine 7 out of Fort Walton Beach. And he's going to tell us his story on the uh, the VES grab that they had. You might have seen on the ABC News. It made national news. It was on February 14th of 2019. So here's, here's DJ. So welcome, DJ. Why don't you tell us a little bit about you, your department, what your average response is to a, to a structure fire, and, and what your search culture is. Sure. Uh, first of all, thanks for inviting me. I think this is uh, really good to get these stories out. Um, so I work in the Panhandle, Florida, more like Florida, Alabama, Florabama, if you will, close to Pensacola, small coastal town, you know, uh, in a city department. We're heavily mutual-aided, meaning that we run with three other departments on any given alarm assignment. And so um, it's good and bad. The good is we have a pretty quick turnout. So most rigs are arriving behind us within one to two minutes. But the downside is we don't all operate on the same SOGs. We don't all have the same philosophy. So the city department here is pretty traditional in all respects. We're not very old department, but we're old souls, if you will. So we have a very strong uh, truck culture, a very strong search culture and engine culture and all that. And so uh, our organization is pretty aggressive by nature. No doubt, hands down. The organizations around us, it would probably be company dependent would be the best way to say it. So search for us, it's not very well defined because we're a divided response. So in other words, when we get on scene, some departments around us are more like a, a mother may I. They sort of wait for direction, and, and, and it's not exactly spelled out. And depending on the battalion coming in and the direction they give is how quickly assignments getting taken care of. So um, this night, which was Valentine's morning, I think the call was came in around 4.15. And, the, and a little bit before that, we had just got back from a run to the old folks' home we go to all the time in this district. And it was probably a block from where this house fire was. We had just got back in the station maybe 30 minutes before this call. So I like to think that a part of the quick turnout time for us was that we were all just somewhat awake, you know, from that previous call. Call comes in around four or so. Um, immediately on, on dispatch, we were notified that the sheriff's office was on scene and there were reported entrapment. Uh, this house was about two miles, not even, not even, maybe a mile from our firehouse, not even two minutes away from where we were at. We were very familiar with it because it, it was a vacant uh, house. It was an area where there was four or five vacant buildings on this piece of property over the years. And about two years previous to this, they had another fire where the sheriff's office actually pulled in a different building another homeless person out of it. So this place was known to be occupied by homeless, although maybe we didn't see them in there. We just knew that people frequented it, drug addictions, that kind of thing, right? Drug users and all that. So um, that's kind of the backstory about the area. We knew it. I knew the location. I wasn't sure about the water sources. Quite frankly, it really wasn't our concern. The way we operate is a booster backup uh, style operation where the second dew doesn't catch a hydrant. They just come in and drop their tank depending on the situation. 
which nine times out of ten, a couple rooms on fire will drop the tank. We won't catch hydrants until the third do. So we make the corner. As we're moving en route, the, the dispatch comes over stating that multiple calls from other passerbys, sheriff is confirming that it was a verbal contact to someone entrapped in the building. So we had a strong confirmation. So en route, I turn around. Lo and behold, we're a four-man company operation. Uh, of course, Murphy's Law, we had three that night. But the good thing is the two other that night um we had been working together for some years now so we we knew each other they kind of knew what to expect from me i knew what to expect from them we had already ran a couple other really intense calls and these dudes performed really well so i yell in the back hey scott uh you know confirmed entrapment from dispatch in case he didn't hear it we don't wear on ear it's just kind of open cab uh with us as far as communication so i just yell back to him hey we have a confirmed entrapment you know, get ready to stretch a line or whatever. And by the way, there's a, there's a couple videos floating around of it too. That um, one of them was shown on our city council. It's probably the best representation. And another one was done by the sheriff that made it to ABC News. But it's, it's pretty chopped up, and you don't kind of get the the whole picture. You know what I mean? So the one for the city council kind of has some communication from me and, and Scott in the cab. And anyways, I tell him, hey man, we, we confirmed him trapping. Get ready, blah blah blah. We round the corner. Um, as soon as I see what we had, it was a small block structure, maybe nah, probably 900 square feet, 1,000 square feet or so, a couple rooms, old Florida style, low roof pitch, like built on sort of thing, uh, block construction house, heavy fire showing from the Alpha and the Bravo uh, side of the building. So inch and three-quarter fire, no doubt. I yell back to Scott, hey, man, stretch, you know, short stretch, meaning that it's our 150 line, solid bore nozzle. We, our lines, by the way, if you're wondering, we flow a target pressure, a target volume around 165 on our hand lines. Solid bores, and we have breakaway smooth uh, fog nozzles, Elkhart stuff. So we have a good nozzle pack. This is what I'm trying to say. Stretch a short line. He gets out, and my initial thought, because we had just been going through this training with uh, – the driver that night, he's now a captain at our department. He got promoted. We were training with him for the last three or four months for the test. So we've been over this specific scenario, geez, ten times probably. Hey, you got a house? Confirm the entrapment. What are you going to do? Well, um, my mindset, I'm a big engine guy. So my mindset with him was, hey, man, we're going to put water on the fire because that's going to stop everything, right? And we're going to direct the next two, next company in to, to affect whatever search needs to be done. So we got to stop this compounding reaction of fire, you know, in order to get in and do to do our job. Well, I learned that night, and I knew it, but I learned that night always and never are some very rare words we should use in this business. There's very few things that apply to always and never. So we get out. I communicate on dispatch. Hey, we're stretching the line for attack. Because I still I had radio confirmation, but not visual. As soon as I stepped off the rig, cop rounds the, the like the Bravo Charlie side of the house, and is yelling at me, "Hey, we got a woman back here. We're talking to her. You know, she's she's around the back." So as soon as I hear that, I don't say anything. I, I grab a hook and then just immediately kind of jog around to the rear of the building. Well, when I get around. Well, I would call it the rear from our position. It would be the Delta side of the building. Get around to the Delta side of the building, the Delta Charlie corner. There's one window. 
and the officers had breached that window uh, a little bit. They had made a small hole, and smoke was just chugging out of the hole. Nasty, angry, fast-moving, dark smoke out of the hole. I got a little closer, and I could hear the woman, which has never happened to me um, on the job. Our, our rescues are more like recoveries a lot of times because we, maybe we just didn't get in fast enough or bad communication, what, what have you. So this lady was verbal. The entire incident, she was verbal with us. So she is yelling, help me, from the room. Um, as soon as I noted that, I took a quick note of the smoke conditions. Clearly, I heard her yelling. I, I run back to the corner where Scott was, and I said, quickly stretch the line around the rear, because I knew the fire was coming to that room. That was the only room that was not involved in the entire place. And um, I knew we probably had 45 seconds, a minute at best, to get the window off and to, to have an attempt to get in. And the cops had backed away because they were trying to, you know, get in to get her. Thankfully, I think all of us as firefighters know that if they would have pulled that window, she probably would have been dead. That's the reality of the situation. Uh, amongst ourselves, we identify that fact that as soon as you open that path, man, you know, that fire's coming at you. And they had opened that door, that path, if you will, into that room, and it was coming quick. So he stretched the line around. Sorry, radio's on. Stretch lying around that window. Um, as he's stretching, I get ready. I get everything, all my PPE on, go on air, grab the hook, start working that window. And uh, as, as fast and as hard as I can, the window was boarded up, by the way. There, was, there wasn't a window there. It was OSB boarded up, and there was probably 20 screws all around the edge of the window. So all that to say, it wasn't coming. <laughs> You're like, I, I'm banging on this thing, man, and, and it is not coming. So... I start hooking it, and I pull away to make the hole a little bit bigger. And as soon as I did that, fire uh, had, you know, the vent point had met the right mixture and just started basically blowing out of the window. Mind you, the whole time I'm hooking this window as fast as I can, the lady is, is straight yelling, like, help me, whatever, you know. I'm, I'm, I couldn't understand what she's saying, in under the, under the wood or something like that, you know, help me, and then, the fire started blowing, and then she started yelling. Like, you know, you could hear her like she's getting burned up. So, of course, that really amps the situation up. Scott was getting dressed out. Um, you could see on the video he just abandons, get finished getting dressed out. And I yell at him to grab the hose line and flow water. And then he, uh, which I'm super proud of him, man, because we just trained on this stuff, very specifically flowed water into this room into that environment because really quite frankly water is the only thing that was going to help us in that situation and it surely wasn't trying to put it out we were trying to buy time for her in there and uh, i don't care who you are when you have someone talking to you on the other side of a wall you're, you're going to do whatever it takes man to get in so he's flowing water i continue working on on the window and at one point i'm like in my mind saying and God, you've got to help me get this window off because it's not coming. Like, it was not coming off. And the other window was super fortified to get in. So right as I said that, something let loose. The whole thing flapped open. We were able to get it off. Um, textbook, you know, cleared the sash. There was a sash there. Three or four good hits. Boom, that thing knocked out of the way. And at that point, he flowed about 38 seconds of water. So we introduced quite a bit of water onto the interior um, and darken it down for a second. Conditions still were pretty volatile as far as the smoke is concerned. 
And about simultaneously, the same time, the driver of Engine 7 had stretched the bumper line off, set it in front of the house, and had directed the next company, hey, I need you guys to flow like in the front of the house, just hit it hard from the yard. The dude's around back trying to get in. So um, the next dude company really probably saved my back by hitting it from the front door almost the same time I dove in. So uh, an officer was there. It was a high window, probably about chest high. And uh, for a second, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there. I didn't bring my irons. I typically carry the hook. So I was going to throw the hook down to use it as a step. Right as I did that, the officer was like, man, I got you. Come down and bent, bent down. I was able to step on his back and belly in, you know. And uh, it was still pre- pretty sketchy conditions getting in there. Not a ton of heat, but uh, absolute zero visibility. So um, let me back up. Actually, I don't know if you, you guys know Joe DeVito. Does he work with you down there? Yeah, he was down on Fort Myers Beach. Yeah, yeah. So Joe DeVito, the day before, just came up with his – with his company and did a live fire tick class. Really good, by the way. We don't get a lot of that live fire tick class stuff up here. We did this class. And so um, immediately, let me back up. I, I didn't scan the window. I probably should have, but I did. It was just the moment we hit it, boom, got on the back, dove in. Um, as soon as I get in, I could hear her. She's still talking. I'm trying to find out what it was. I'm standing on God knows what, man, just trash everywhere i scanned the room with the tick two or three times nothing i mean you just couldn't and we have pretty good ticks uh you know and we just couldn't see anything man couldn't see nothing it was just lights out divert back to simple search basics right using our senses our our hands and and ears and sound and all that i could hear the other company flowing water so in my mind, I'm like, okay, well, that's good. Now I just got to concentrate on finding this woman. I could hear, and we're talking. And I'm like, well, where are you at? Keep talking. What I didn't know was there was so much debris in this room um, that she had, I'm almost positive, had buried herself under several pieces of debris, maybe panel, wood paneling from the wall or, or whatever. And I'm convinced to this day that's probably the thing that saved her life was that she shielded herself with whatever she could in that room and uh, prevented what could be a pretty intense thermal insult on this lady because she had fire blowing out over the top of her. Remember, still talking. Lights out conditions to the floor, zero visibility. She's still talking. She's still alive. She's still conscious. So I'm talking with her, and I'm just like frantically moving debris off the top of her. There's bicycles in there. There's buggies. There's big, giant pieces of wood, clothes, paint, debris. I mean, just everything. I didn't know that that was in there, but all that stuff were were uh, hindering me from really identifying where she was. Kind of sounds like an FDTN hoarder <laughs> hoarder scenario. Hundred percent. One hundred percent hoarder scenario. Now it wasn't a hoarder scenario in the sense of I wasn't trapped. But I couldn't find her. She's right here. Man, I could hear her, right? And I'm thinking in my mind, God, why can't I find this woman? She is right here in front of me. So I'm having trouble. Some of the debris is not moving. I go to the wind. Like, let me try to verbalize this. I dive in the window. She is right under the window sill, like just laying parallel with the window. That's where she was found. So she wasn't in the room. She wasn't. She had tried to get out and sort of 
got to that window and dropped to the ground and covered herself up. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that's where I knew she was in that location. I look up, I yell out to Scott, the firefighter with me, and I said, man, I need you to come in. He immediately drops the line because she was basically with the line just kind of waiting, you know, for whatever, a call or, or in case you need to flow water or whatever. He hopped in with me. Uh, about that time, other companies were coming around to assist. And um, he hopped in and, and just immediately started removing debris. And I said, she's right here, man, but I can't find her. And he's a beast, man. He just started moving stuff. Well, at the same time, what I didn't know is this particular room was off-grade and that um, he had stepped out of that debris and his right foot had become entrapped in something, and his foot was stuck for a second. Simultaneously, I stepped off to the left of where that lady was, and my foot did the same thing because the foot, the, the floor was about a foot off grade, no basement, and uh, basically just rotted out because it was this old, ready, old, nasty house. So both of us, for probably you know 10 seconds of work, 10, 15 seconds, we were contending with the mental thought of, man, my freaking foot is trapped in this room in something, in some sort of debris. Almost uh, like the Chinese finger trap type Dude, thing, huh? yeah, yeah, exactly right, man. So our feet are second to the same. We're just moving stuff. And finally, um, he says, I, I think I found her arm or whatever, and I bend down, and then we move stuff, and I just the flashlight sort of catches the top of her head. So he bends down in a classic, um, like, what I would call an EMS patient pickup where you can come behind somebody, you know what I mean? And you could cross their arms and grab their wrists and pull them into you and, and sort of boost them up. Because she was laying sort of parallel with the window, he he was able to grab her body and get her into that position. And from there, it was like any of the other VE stuff, VES stuff we have practiced time and time again where we grab the body, we position, and then we make a thrust to the sill. And we pin... We pin a victim against the wall as our normal practice. Then we with some face forward, correct? Yes, some face in the window, so their belly goes to sill, if possible. Yes, if possible. And in this scenario, he he had found her back and 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 turned her back into him. Right as he did that, I saw her head and I grabbed her shoulder, and he basically had the bulk of the lifting work, but he was able to get a good position behind her because we're still trying to stand on all this junk and trash in the room, you know. So, um. He grabs her from behind, and, uh, I, you know, we communicate, you got her, yeah, yeah, I got her, okay, you ready? Communicated the lift and the move, one, two, three, boom, to the window. Uh, didn't even say a word, we just knew we both had to reposition. So pinned her up against the window, we both went down and, and grabbed both of her bottom legs. At that point, the next two, uh, mutual aid company, which was, uh, I think it was Ocean City Engine 3, maybe, or 1, I can't remember, but... They come up, and they were at the sill, and they were ready to receive, man, and they reached in. She was a smaller lady, and we got her her waist up to the windowsill, and I'm pretty sure you all teach that, too. If you get a belly to the sill, that's the win. That's the goal, you know. We got her to the sill, and as soon as she got there, rolled her out, just like you guys teach and everybody else, man. Head first, rolled her right out of the window into the hands of uh, the fire company, and then they passed them on to the sheriff to take her around to the front. That's kind of part of the video that you see as a sheriff kind of carrying her out to the street, too. And Did she remain conscious the whole time? Or did she see you at all at the window? Nope. No. So I, she didn't go unconscious. She went unverbal by the time we got her to the windowsill. So she wasn't talking, 
but she was still there. And in the uncut video that I have that will, you know, a little plug for Water on the Fire conference here, me and my brother are doing a co-led class about a couple rescues and sort of what we call the anatomy of a rescue for this class. In the video, you'll see a little bit of her movement in the street. She was still conscious, but kind of on the way out, you know what I mean? She had taken in quite a bit of smoke. It was it was visible on the video at the tail end where the because the cop the video came from the cop cams so there's five different perspectives uh what i did for our class is i edited those five perspectives into a realistic timeline of events um so i think it was about eight minutes from call to she's out in the street uh dispatch received out to the street so um the last i had heard that she was transported to birmingham which is the closest burn unit for us because she did have burns on her hands and arms a little bit and obviously probably breathed in some superheated gases but she's she's alive and well um last i heard from word of mouth of her family was she's recovering uh up there and doing good i mean i haven't seen her but you know what a success story that's awesome yeah yeah which you know is kind of stand out in that story uh to me or or the high window so planning for that because uh, yep. it's not something we encounter all the time mm-hmm. homeless people um that we just got to be aware that things aren't always they're not vacant <laughs> if we think they're no. vacant we still gotta go in and Absolutely do the search not. and uh known location i mean that's this is classic known location they're right in there there's contact as an absolute indication to do the the ves now yes. people are probably wondering you got in there you had the contact with her you said there was a ton of debris in there what was there yes. a door that could have bought you some time was the door burned away non-existent just oh. what was that like i mean i'm gonna be honest with you. I hit the replay i probably should have been more disciplined go get that door but I think like anything else no matter how long you've been on this job there's a certain amount of tunnel vision you're going to get and there's a certain amount of focus and so the fact that she was talking to me and I knew she was by the window my focus was if there's nothing on her I can get her out like in a minute you know what I mean I and if and if it goes bad I have gear on I can shield and get the woman out of the door so I never really and we train on it, man. I'm incessantly training on, on that's the big part of VES. But no, there was no door. The door was off the hinges. It was in the room, but it was off the hinges. Probably communicated what we were doing to incoming units over over the air. I just didn't, man. I get off and it was just immediately to work. And if you watch the video, my, my decision making communication time frame was probably less than two minutes from pulling the brake to like getting to it, man, you know, getting yeah, dressed dude. out. So formulating the funny plans. thing is you're explaining this as I'm watching the video on the YouTube and it like, it took longer to explain it. So I think that's what sometimes we miss as you're yeah. explaining stuff. This is happening so lightning fast and that's yep. good decisions based because you, you've backed it up and done, done the work on the front side. You brought up booster backup. When you guys do booster backup, uh, can you just walk through, maybe for listeners, first do typically is going to put water on the fire. Second do is going to come in, give them their water. The second do then become that that truck company doing the search, or who's doing the actual searches? Typically, and, and booster backup, all credit due to Kurt Isaacson and Scambia, that, that is becoming a common culture in the panhandle, uh, probably mostly because his concept of how they operate in Escambia. So for us here, we don't have dedicated truck companies. 
it's just engine. Truck for us is just an engine with a ladder on it because we're running quints, right? So, yes, the function of truck company happens on second due. And what it did for us is it put us, it put the manpower there to do the searches, to do the vent, to do the other things that need to be done way quicker than having them sit at a hydrant because you got fire showing out of two, three, even four windows on a 1500 square foot home. That's a tank water fire, you know, and that's what we learned over the years is that's plenty of water. Well, when you, when that next due unit comes in and drops that second tank, if your average tank is 500 gallons, that's immediately a thousand gallons to your disposal to even stretch two lines and go to work if you had to. The caveat to the booster backup for us is a proper size up and sort of been at going size up scenario. So in other words, how quickly is it progressing? Is it going to be defensive soon? Do we need a water supply? And most of the time that's not the case. So yes, it's a massive benefit to get that second due company in to immediately affect the search. And if you're and dude, I can't thank you enough for sharing the story. I hope some people got got a lot out of it. I know I certainly have. Um, and, you know, like I said before, I just encourage people take these stories. We're not looking for perfect stories when we talk to people. We're looking for realistic what's happening on the fire ground, and so we can bridge the gap between the training ground to the fire ground, give people what they need. And you know, yeah. don't be afraid to take these stories and and put them into your training scenarios. And then when you get done with the training scenario, play this and play the video. You know, it can only enhance what we're already doing. Hundred percent. And I'll I'll tell you, you know, success comes from from training, right? And whereas I'll tell you this, handline movement as an example, stre- like stretching from one target to another and moving a handline around the outside. It's no coincidence. We had just done some of this training. We had just done the outside-in attack, and and I I forget to give that detail, but Scott flowed in the overhead. If you watch the video, it's a light back and forth off the ceiling. He's not working the room. Very specific, right? We're we're training on it. And uh, not only that, I've always preached this mental muscle memory. Like, I'll come in, man, and, and I'll think about that call. I've probably thought about this type of call a thousand times, and I still missed some stuff. <laughs> you know, uh, 18 years I've been on the job and I feel like I pay attention to things and I still miss some very fundamental things like, Hey man, I didn't even think about closing that door. Well, you know, next time I will for sure. Um, but this particular scenario always and never didn't necessarily a- apply. And in some respects I got lucky because the company come in and float water through the front door and sort of stop the progression of growth, you know, and I'll tell you right now, you preach it all the time. Kurt preaches it's risk, worth the risk all the time. We wholeheartedly believe that. We can't. There was no time for me to think about it that night. It's you're going to do it or not. And uh, you know, I'm not personally going to stand out of the building. That's what I signed up to, to put it on the line. You know, and uh, doesn't have happen often. But I think it's the way we all got to think about that, man. Be willing no, to push. Absolutely, the time to push. And you know, I'm so grateful, people like you and Kurt and Brothers in Battle and just everywhere. We got people out preaching the message, and we're putting them first and getting up, getting back to doing searches, which is so cool. If yeah. um, if people want to get a hold of you to hear the story, uh, if they're not going to make it to Water on the Fire, and they want to have you guys out. If they want to get more information on that, how can they uh, get a hold of you? One way is me and my brother kind of co-run a page called Eight Five Zero Fireman. The, the numbers Eight Five Zero Fireman. What that really is, is just the culture up here in our part of Florida. You can message me through there, um, David Stone on Facebook, or even my brother Shannon Stone, He's or Kurt. I mean, <laughs> those guys are a lot 
more out there. But yeah, if anyone wants to know more about that, I'm an open book, man. You know, I I'm an open book on what went right and surely on what went wrong. You know, and uh, so it, if this comes out before the water on the fire, they'll they'll hear a little bit about that. You know, a, sort of an honest assessment of my own maybe mistakes and what I've learned from it. So, but yeah, totally. Uh, Facebook is probably the best avenue to get a hold of me, or they can email me at um, uh, 850fireman at gmail.com too. So, Cool. Well, thank you so much. So we want to encourage anybody that does have a grab, live or otherwise, in the future or in the past, make sure you log it in, firefighterrescuesurvey.com. That's information for us, by us, because NIFR's information just completely sucks. If you want to get a hold of me or Justin to share your story with everybody, you can do so either on the Facebook pages, Residential Primary Search Making the Grab, book page Search Culture, or find me on Facebook or Justin McWilliams on Facebook. We'd love to hear and share your story. But thanks a lot, DJ. We appreciate you sharing the story, and we look forward to, to bringing more episodes. Right on, man. Make grabs, not excuses, right? Yeah, that's right.